And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards his people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house, articles of silver and gold and for clothing which you will put on your sons and daughters and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Let's just pray. Lord thank you for your word. Thank you for the history of your pursuit of your people. Thank you that you hear our cries. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are good. remember, I love you, loosen your grip and obey me. Or, I love you, let go and do it. Two different ways. I need to hear the second one, other people, not so on my part of this <laughs> This morning is going to be a little bit, I'm going to share some of my testimony with you and I'm going to talk a bit about how God sometimes he takes us places and it is right that we're there, and then sometimes he tells us, even from that place, move on. We'll come back to that. Let me tell you how I got here to Conchfit Baptist Church. So when I first came to Bristol, I actually applied to do university in Oxford, but I came to Bristol to do my interview. I was doing a youth and community work, applying for theology degree. I wanted to be in Oxford. I had to come to Bristol for my interview, and as soon as I landed in the plane, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I had to come to Bristol. Some of you have heard this story. And it was like dropped into my heart like a certainty. As much as I know that gravity exists and I'm stuck to the face of the earth, I knew that I had to come to Bristol. So I went into the interview and said, can I come to Bristol? My mom was like, don't do that. Just wait, go home, talk it over. It's like, all right. Went in, immediately said, can I come to Bristol? They said, yes. I came out, my mom said, did you change it? And I said, yes, here I am. And then I had to find a placement, and they kept sending me all these placements, and I hated them all. I hated the sign of all of them. They were like churches in Leamington Spa, which I didn't know what that was. 
and all these other things, and I, they kept sending them to me, and I kept reading them and thinking, no, this isn't right, my mom was mad again. Oh, you're never going to get me, you're not even looking at them, why don't you bring these people, you're just being so stubborn. And I said, yes, they are. <laughs> if you know me, not a surprise. And then a whole series of things happened, and eventually a guy rang me from Bristol. It's a long story, I won't tell all. A guy rang me and said, Hi, my name's Lee Ledbrook, I'm from a church in Bristol called Bristol Christian Fellowship, and I hear you looking for a basement. And that sense of certainty dropped into my soul, and I covered the thing on the phone, said to my mum, This is the one. She's like, How did you know? I came to Bristol, I went to that church for 20 years. Loved it, such a good time. God called me into that church. In about 2018, the church had changed, like lots, not through lots of things, and in about 2018, it was like a small group of us that were still meeting. It was a church that kind of spanned all over the city. We did all these things, we were like all came together and met together for a time, and then we split down into smaller communities, sort of geographically, after it made sense for a bit. And I was in one of these kind of smaller communities, and it just made sense, actually, in the end, to end that community. It felt weird, right? God like calls this church into existence and it exists since the 60s and all of this time like it goes on and it's got leaders and structure and people and all this stuff. And we felt like God said, stop. I was like, okay, stop now. So we did. We ended well. We all agreed. That's what we felt God was saying. We went away for the weekend. We Heads together, hung out together, like went through how many time had been, cried a bit, prayed for each other, and then we ended well. A small group of us kind of met together, then I was like, we didn't know what we were doing. Then it was COVID, and in COVID, a fellow God said to me, Stop that one. It's like, again. Yeah. It says in the Bible, my parents reminded me of this many times do not foresee what we do together. I was like, okay, I need to meet somewhere, but this feels like this isn't the right place anymore. I feel like I was told to stop. So I stopped. And then lockdown happened. My friends led a church in Bournemouth, so I still went along to their like, things, but I wasn't really involved in it. We'd go to people that were apart from my friends who were leaving it. And coming towards the end of lockdown, I was like, oh, no, I want to meet the church. Like, well, I love church. I love church. Where, where should I go? What do I do? How do I? So I'm out of church now. Like, since 2018, we finished. Then I'm two years in this kind of little group. But it's okay. But it wasn't really what I wanted. And then I'm in this space where I'm not in anything and nothing's happening. God is like, where's your heart connection? And I was like, and I'm like, oh, what? Because I'd preached here years before that. I'd gone for lunch with Matt and then afterwards. And we'd just like talk for like hours and hours and hours. And I'm like, oh my gosh, isn't church brilliant? Like this and isn't this to okay, my church? And isn't this exactly about what God's doing? Anyway, we're ours. And I was like, oh, there was such a hard connection that like we were on the same journey. And I was like, this is so cool. So I felt like God said, you need to come to partnership. So I was like, okay. So I texted Matt. I was like, don't like say anything. Don't get excited. Don't do anything. I just am telling you this is the journey I'm on. I'm going to come and talk to you in a couple of weeks. And we'll see how it goes. And then in a couple of weeks, I went home, came back, went to see Matt and then told them my journey. Matt's like, can I tell you my half of the journey? He was like, we've known you've been coming for like two full years. Which I'm saying, I was like, what? <laughs> oh my gosh, I told them years before that I was coming. I didn't know. And I love this church. Oh, I have felt so loved. I have felt so uh, released. I felt such a sense of like peace and home and grace and goodness and that God is doing stuff and it's exciting. And then this year, last year, God was like, 
You've got to move up to Belfast. Devoted. Sometimes, even when it's good, God says, pick up and move. That is part of my story. So we're in Exodus 1 to 8. God's people are in Egypt and they are being oppressed in Egypt. Let's have a little bit of Exodus 1, 7 to 12. The Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers. They were really obeying the edict of the Lord to be in the earth, multiply, and do all that. They were really doing that. It became so numerous that the land was filled with them. And then a new king, to whom Joseph, we'll come back to Joseph in a minute, but nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, these Israelites have become far too numerous for us. We must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. He wasn't worried about being overthrown. He was worried that they were going to leave, and he was going to lose all his slaves, all the people who were building all these things for him. He wasn't worried that they were going to overtake him. He was worried that they were going to leave. So they put a slave masters over them to oppress them as forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They'd been there for 430 years. And what struck me for the first time ever, having read the Bible multiple times, the first time it struck me this time was, wait, we've just talked about how they got to Egypt, right? So let's go back. Let's go all the way back to Abraham. <laughs> no, let's not do that. <laughs> we are going there, but hold on. They're in Egypt because of, jo of Joseph. Right? We've done the story of Joseph. They're in Egypt because Joseph's family were in Canaan and there was a famine and Joseph got thrown in a pit to die and then they're like, that's a bit harsh, let's just sell him to slavery. So he gets sold into slavery and then he ends up in Egypt and then he becomes the Prince of all Egypt, amazing Egyptian guy, like running everything, and then his family are in famine came in, and then so they come to Egypt and Joseph is there. So God was in all of that. Genesis 45:45. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph. This is the thing revealed, right? We have hindsight, but imagine this. You're there, you're like a famine, and this man is there, and he's going to help you, he's going to help your family. And then suddenly you realize it's a brother that you sold into slavery and almost killed. This is the big reveal. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, <clears throat> do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save the lives that God sent me ahead of you. The Israelites are in Egypt because God had a plan to save their lives. That's why they're there. Canaan is the land flowing with milk and honey. Suddenly famine, out of there, into Egypt. But they've been there for 130 years. And now it's time, God has heard that they're miserable, and it's time to move. God brought them there. Now it's time to move on. You, we're going with the thing, yes? <laughs> Sometimes God brings us into things, 
computers are. So now let's go back to Abraham. Abraham, before he was Abraham, was told to go to the land that God would give him. A land flowing with milk and honey. Abraham was already absolutely minted. He had loads of sheep, goods, servants, everything. It's not like he needed a land that was more flowing with milk and honey. He wasn't a destitute poor person. Like God was like, oh, are you there? Why don't you, who are rich and whatever, go to this other land that's going to make you more richer? He was already fully sorted. And yet God said to him, pick up everything you own. Imagine, I'm thinking about moving all my stuff back to Belfast. Oh my gosh, I have a tiny two-bedroom apartment, and the stuff I have is absolutely chronic. Imagine having to move hundreds of sheep, and goats, and people, and tents, and paraphernalia. Oh my goodness, the logistical nightmare of that is absolutely disgusting. The thought is making me a bit of a sick. Anyway, Abram's told, come from there into a land that I will give you that's flowing with milk and honey. So you're already prosperous, come to the southern land where it's flowing with milk and honey. So Abram goes. Then there's a famine in Canaan. Where does it go? Egypt. What happens there? He nearly wrecks everything because he pretends his wife is his sister and it's a whole thing. Go back and read that, it's good. Anyway, after that, everything seems to clear up. He goes back to Canaan because God is saying, this is the land where we've built and honey, this is the land where I'm giving you. So everyone goes, okay, back. So he goes back to Canaan. And he gets to Canaan. Everything's okay, then he has a son, Isaac, with well, a couple of sons, we've done, we've already covered that. But Isaac was living in Canaan. What happened in Canaan? Bad. God says, don't go to Egypt. Sometimes we get in patterns of thinking, don't we? Like we get in this pattern where we say, oh, God did this one time, and so when that happens again, I'm going to do that the next time. But God doesn't work like that. Sometimes he says, go to Egypt. Sometimes he says, don't do that. Rely on the Philistines who are next door to you. Something different. So he relies on the neighboring Philistines. Also a weird story, read that. I've already read it in the last couple of months, go back. Jacob returns to Canaan, eventually, because that's the land flowing with milk and honey, and God's like, hey, here's the land, and I'm gonna give you. So Jacob goes back to the land. What happens in the land? Um, so Jacob and all his sons, they're living in the land, full of famine. They don't even, God doesn't even say to them, go to Egypt. What actually happens is that God works that whole plan through Joseph, and then they end up in Egypt. Do you remember years ago, a couple of years ago, I preached, and the thing of what I said was, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but God does not do the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the story of the Israelites. God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He is always good. He is always in pursuit of his people. He is always working things out. But he rarely does things the same way twice. So in Exodus 3, 7 to 10, the Israelites are back in Egypt, and God has turned how miserable they are and sent Moses to rescue them. So the Lord said, we read this already, but this is from the Amplified Version. You all can I leave it there, but mine has more words. The Lord said, I have in fact seen the affliction, the suffering and desolation of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their pain and suffering, and so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a land that is good and spacious, to a land flowing with milk and 
something, a land of plenty, to a place that the Canaanite, Hittite, the Amorite, Perizzite, the Hittite, and Jebusite. And I behold the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have seen also how the Egyptians oppressed them. So remember, God has brought the Israelites to Egypt to rescue them from famine. They're actually quite comfortable, as we hear later in the story when they complain about not many cucumbers anymore. And they're in Egypt eating cucumbers and having a time, although being repressed by the Egyptians, but still they have things to eat, houses to live in cucumbers and whatever else they wanted. And God is saying, it's time to get out of now. Get on to I think there's something in our human nature that sometimes says that God brought me here. I'm going to stay here and we stay too long in things. And I think some of the Israelites would have stayed there. So like, listen, we're pretty prosperous here. This is going okay. We're multiplying. There's loads of us. We've got actually a lot of things going for us here. Yes, slave drivers. I'm sure that probably wasn't that good. In fact, I'm sure it was awful. But some of them would have stayed there because they would have said, God brought us here. Joseph was here, they all worked out, here we are. Some of them would have wanted to stay. And that happens in our lives. Sometimes God takes us somewhere or does something in our life or gets us into a job or in a church or in a building or in a whatever it is. And we think, yes, God has brought me here. This is the will of God for my life. And yes, for that time. Absolutely. But sometimes we stay too long even when God is saying, go on now, get going. So another little story from my life, it's a mood for a testimony. When I was 25, I started working at 125, which is a project in Bristol that works with sex workers on the streets, and I absolutely loved it, it's a great place to work. Um, and I was in church, and I loved that. And I had really good friends, and I loved that. I lived in my house in Southmead, and I loved that. I was a little, very handy. Didn't have to do any kind of meeting down there. Just got home, thought, what do I want for tea? There's a little, off I went, got the thing I want for tea, walked home, made it. It was genius. Always in a box at shop. So I loved it. God like organized the house. God ordered my. I was in the church that God had brought me to. I was in the job that really felt like God had given me that job. So good. I knew that the job was kind of taking its toll on me because I was becoming less and less able to cope with just the daily things of life. And um, I went into a shop once because I had a mouse in my house, and um, which is an old Irish phrase, mouse in my house. And the um, man, I was like, can you show me how to set this mice trap? Because I've never had a set of mice trap before. So he said it, and then he hit it with a piece of paper, and the snap, I burst into tears. I was like, oh, I'm not doing well. I can't even cope with a piece of paper being strapped in a mice trap, never mind a mouse. So I was, I was like, come on, there were signs that things were not okay in me. Then I, that was like October time, then I flew home at Christmas to see my mum and dad and they met me at the bottom of the stairs at Belfast Airport and I was really happy to see them and behind me there was a kerfuffle uh, and a, an elderly gentleman had fallen down the stairs behind me. He got up, he was fine, but I just started crying and I couldn't stop crying for maybe an hour, like all the way home and I cried. And I was like, what's going on with you? And I was like, oh, I don't know mum. She was like, the man's fine, he's okay. I was like, yes, yeah, I don't think that's what I'm crying about. I just not really coping. I didn't really pay attention. <laughs> I kept going. I kept going to work. I kept going to church. Everything was okay. I was like, yeah, you know, things are okay. I knew, I knew things weren't okay. 
but I kept going. It took a long time for God to really convince me that it was time to go, and lots of things had to happen that were horrible in the meantime, and for really for me to kind of realize that that's what was happening. And eventually, when I said to God, why is all of this happening? What is going on? He said, I am uprooting you. You are uprooting me. I don't want to be uprooted. I like my life. I like my house. I like my job. I like my church. I don't want to be uprooted, God. Please don't uproot me. He's like, I'm uprooting you. He tried to do it nicely. <laughs> he tried to say, I love you. Listen to me. Loosen your grip and obey. In the end, he had to say, let go and do what you're told because I'm not very good at listening. So, in the end, I got the message. All of these things happened. Couldn't stop crying. Eventually, I realized, okay, I need to go. Even though I love this church, even though I love this place, even though I want to be in Bristol, all of that, you are uprooting me. I will be obedient to your uprooting. So, up I went, sold everything, went traveling. Felt like God said to just go. A few opportunities came up to travel, so I traveled. Uh, and I kind of went around, it was so good. I had, a, I had the first two months, I had like a, a great summer where I just um, I crewed a cycle across America. That was so fun. I drove a van, no cycling for me. Just in the van, aircon, stereo, lovely. Um, cyclist on the road, just giving the peanut butter out the window, that kind of thing. Um, and it was a really fun summer, but I didn't process anything. I just had a really good time. My best friend was on the ride. I just had a great time, a really good summer. Then after that, I went to Canada and uh, stayed with a friend up there for a couple of months. And she worked in the day, and then I'd see her at night on the weekends. But during the day, um, I would begin to process the trauma you know, that I had experienced at 125 and the things that God was talking to me. I'd lost all hope in life, was why he needed to uproot me. I'd lost hope that anything could be different. I'd lost hope that I could be different. I'd lost hope that anything would change for the women I was working for. I'd lost all hope. And in that two months, God took me out of everything and basically just worked on, you need hope back. And I needed to be away from here. So I did that for two months and I realized there was hope. And I was like, oh gosh, there's hope. This is so good. And then God was like, okay, travel, go do these other things. So one of the things that he told me to do was go to Kansas City to the International House of Prayer. And I was like, never been there, don't go to any Kansas City. He was like, don't worry about that, just hire a car. Don't organize anywhere to stay, just hire a car, turn up. I was like, okay, I'm learning on this journey to just be obedient. Because actually when God tells me to do something, he's, I, I'm either going to be obedient or he's, I've learned for me, and this isn't the same always, but for me, I've learned that he's going to force me into it, whether I want to do it or not. Sometimes he's like, come on, I need you to do this thing. Partly that's because I've given him permission to do that in my life. I'm like, God, I am stubborn and I don't always hear you, so sometimes you're going to have to like really tell me or like knock me into what I'm supposed to do it. So I've given him permission to do that, and so he does. So I book a car, and I'm about the day before I'm about to fly to Kansas City. And I'm, I'm, I'm in Madison, Wisconsin, so like five states away. And uh, my friends go, where are you going? Uh, so I was staying with my friends, mom and dad. And they were like, where are you going? I said, Kansas City. They were like, oh, no, we know a lady in Kansas City. I was like, oh, cool. And they were like, do you want us to call her? Like, where are you staying? I was like, I actually don't have anywhere to stay. They were like, 
okay. <laughs> so they called her, and it was Mary. They were like, hey, Mary, just give us this address, just turn up, and then she'll, she'll have you stay in her house. I was like, fabulous. So I'm turning up to see Mary at this address. So I get to Kansas City, I get the car that I've hired. It's a nice car, I'm like, oh, this is nice. I'm driving into Kansas City, I pass a street called Charlotte Street, and I think, oh, Charlotte Street, my middle name is Charlotte. Charlotte Street. Anyway, I get to where I'm going, and I uh, ring on the doorbell, nobody answers. So I ring on the doorbell for quite some time, I'm thinking, I actually don't have anybody's number, didn't think of that. So if Mary's not here, I really don't know what I'm gonna do, so I'm dinging, dinging on the doorbell, eventually, uh, somebody answers, and then I get up. I'm like, hi, I'm looking for Mary. They're like, she left ages ago. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I tell them what I'm doing there, and they're like, okay, um, come in, have a seat. It turns out it's a 24 7 house affair. I didn't know that before I turned up. They were like, yeah, come in, have a seat, and that's, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. So they like, talk amongst themselves. Eventually, this girl comes back, and she's like, hey, you, you come stay with us. Doesn't it be great? Guess where she lived? Charlotte Street. I knew this girl. There's no reason for that. Nothing spiritual came out of it, but I just knew that God was with me, that I was in the right place, that I was following what God told me to do, that my obedience was paying off, that God is for me, that He loves me, that He told me to move. All these little things just added up to it. Okay, God, well, I'm on this journey with God, and it's the right journey, and it's okay. And even if I don't have all the answers, and even if I don't know really where I'm going, that bit like Abraham, go to another. Yeah. Go, say so, brother, that I'm organized. Okay, sure. And he did. Anyway, after about eight months of not being in Bristol, God said to me, you knew what I I didn't think I was coming back to Bristol. I thought God had already been here for me. But he allowed me to come back. But he just needed me to be away from here. That like the Israelites, they're always going back to Canaan. But it was like a taking away and a going back and a taking away and a going back and a learning and things that were going on in that journey and in those kind of things that were happening with God that God was teaching them that they wouldn't have found if they just stayed in a land that flowed with milk and honey that was easy. They never would have learned the things that they learned on the journey. And we wouldn't know the things that they learned on the journey. So, what happens next? Moses meets at the burning bush. Moses and Aaron, he gets a sidekick. Go to Pharaoh, he's not keen to let his thousands of slaves go. Ten things happen before he's really convinced. And then the people leave to follow God's plan for them again. I'm just going to do a little interlude here because Matt would uh, be sad if I didn't mention. <laughs> no, he wouldn't. He'd be fine. But I'm going to mention for Matt's benefit, tens. Did anybody notice ten things? <laughs> Matt talks about like uh, these numbers which um, I have never sat under somebody who talks about numbers as much as Matt, or learned so much from Matt in all my life. And I'm 44 years old now, and I've been to a lot of churches and sermons, and I learn a lot from Matt, so thank you, I'm appreciative of that. But, a little interlude, what happened in, how many times did God speak in creation? Ten. How many generations were there between Adam and Noah? Ten. Uh, how many plagues were there? How many commandments are there? Okay, so 10 might be a significant number. Matt tells me it's the number of creation and decreation. So God speaks 10 times, and everything that is created is created. And then the generations between Adam and Noah absolutely stuff everything up royally, so it's a decreation. 10 times, 10 generations absolutely ruin everything. God has to reset. Now, in the 10 plagues, I also never knew this until this week. And I'm 44, and I've been in church since I was born. I never knew this. The 10 plagues 
are corresponding to ten Egyptian gods. Who knew that? Put your hand up if you knew that. Only Matt. Oh, dead. There are ten Egyptian gods that correspond exactly to the ten plagues of Egypt. God is knocking down gods. The one God Amen. is knocking down one at a time these irrelevant, useless, rubbish, powerless, insignificant, wrong gods one at a time and the Egyptians finally get the message after ten times and he lets them go. So there's kind of a decreation of the Egyptian gods and it's like he's saying, this one, you think he's got power? Let me show you what I can do. Oh, this one? You think he's got power? Let me show you what I can do. Oh, this one goes on, I won't do the whole ten. But that's basically what's happening. <laughs> and then who read this morning's reading? What happened this morning's reading? Ten Commandments. God creates out of the mess order. Went to the other side, far side of the wilderness, went to the other edge, 
and then came back, because the obviously had to come back to go and fetch the people of Israel, they were not wandering around because they didn't know where they were going. I had thought that for a long time. They were in the wilderness for 40 years because that's where God wanted them to be. Because that's where they had to learn. If that was me, I'd be like, listen, God has told us about the land with the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and all those people, so I'm going straight there. You guys wander here if you want, but God has told me that's where we're going, so I'm going straight there. That's my nature. I don't know. <laughs> Who's with me? Loads of people would have yes, great, it's only going in this way. Why am I wandering right here for 40 years? Obviously, they didn't know it was going to be 40 years at the beginning. But I'm going straight there because that's my nature. It's like, right, God told me this, I'm going to do it right away. It's not always how God works. God was like, no. <laughs> Did he leave them on their own? No. Exodus 13, 21-22. By day the Lord went ahead of them in the pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. They were not wandering around because they were lost. They were following God. A literal pillar of cloud or fire, they followed it around. They weren't lost. Obey God. Follow God. Don't think you know. This is what I need to hear. Don't think you know best. Follow God. Pillars of fire and cloud don't appear so much nowadays. Imagine if you were like, well, I'm not going anywhere because there's no pillar of fire or pillar of fire. And one, this one time, God did that. And so if he did that one time, then I'm not going to bring until it's one of those. It's not how God works. It's different every time. Don't think he's going to do the same thing the same way the next time. God does miracles in lots of different ways when they're in the wilderness. So sometimes Moses strikes a rock, water comes out, sometimes manna, well a lot of the time manna fell out of the sky and fed them, which was great. Sometimes they parted two bodies of water, you know that, the Israelites have gone through the Red Sea, in the story that we've already talked about, but then later they walk through the Jordan River, which is a massive river, and they all get across that. But the way that that water is parted is different both times. So imagine if Moses, the first time God said, stretch that out of the water, Moses like, okay, stretch this out by, sea parts. Have you guys seen the bits of Egypt? Yeah, the bits of Never occurred to me that under that water would be like rocks and shapes. I thought it was sand. <laughs> Mind blown. Anyway, that first time I've ever seen it, so good. Second time, Jordan River, not the same. Doesn't say to Moses stretch out your hand over water. He does it a different way. If Moses has stretched his hand down, nothing would happened. Even though God did it that way before, he didn't do it that way the second time because he's God and he does things differently and he's creative, he created everything. Imagine he's like, well, no, I've created everything. I've exhausted my creative juices, so now I'm just going to do everything in the exact same way. No, he's God, he does things differently. In Exodus 14, 13 14, Moses says, People, don't be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Wow. On that occasion, God said, you just need to be still and watch. The Lord will fight for you. As we will see in the coming days and months as we wait. That's not always the case. 
It's not always the case that the Lord finds a battle in that way. And if I was in Israel, I'd be like, well, what's going to happen is I'm just going to stand here. God's going to do something over there that's going to ruin all my enemies. Because that's what happened that one time. You track with me, get the picture? God's not always doing the same thing the same way. Some of these things, all of these things, are pretty unique. Exodus 17, 10 and 13. Love this little story. So Joshua, we've moved on with Moses for a second. Joshua fought the Amalekites, well Moses had said that, as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands were instead into a sign that to Joshua overcame and that army with the sword. What a weird story. Don't read it anywhere else in the Bible. It doesn't become a Christian principle that if you are in a battle, you need to hold your hands up. And if your arms get tired, just get people to stand next to you and hold your arms up with you. It's not something that we do. That's not become a principle. And yet there are other things that we're like, oh God did this that one time like this, and therefore he's always going to do it like that. Loosen your grip a little bit on the way that you think God works. Loosen your grip a little bit on the way that you think God might want to speak to you because he wants to speak to you in lots of different ways. It might be through a burning bush, it might be through a vision, it might be through a dream, it might be through someone else, it might be through scripture, it might be through all kinds of things. Loosen your grip a little bit on the way that God has always spoken to you because there are other ways. Loosen your grip a little bit on the way that you think God works through you because he's worked through you in one way, brilliant. But he might want to work through you in another way, in a different season of your life. Loosen your grip a little bit on the way that you think God wants to like, maneuver this church. Because it was one way, one time, doesn't mean it has to be that way all the time. And probably the way that we're thinking it might be isn't even right, because God is beyond creative, and I don't even have an imagination of anything like that. Loosen your grip a little bit on the way the church has to be, because God isn't the same. If it's always the same, we're probably doing something that we've decided is good. Because God is different all the time. Maybe some week we will have to stand up here with Matt and hold his arms up. Hey, if God tells me to do that, I'll be obedient. And I'm not going to do it because it happened once, and I'm like, oh, that must be a principle now. That's always the way that God is going to do things. Let's go back a little minute to the Passover. So let's not skip over that. It's in this passage, it's in this kind of week that we've been reading about the Passover. So the Passover is where, in case you didn't catch up with the reading this week, the Passover is where. At the very end of all the plagues and all the times that Moses goes fair and says, let my people go, God hearts his heart, Pharaoh hearts his heart, nothing happens to they Bash on all of these Egyptian gods, at the very end of all that, God gives them this uh, symbol, this symbolic ritual to get involved with, where they kill a lamb, they bring a lamb in for 14 days, and then it has to be a perfect, perfect example, a one-year-old in its prime lamb. And then after those days, they kill the man. And they have all these things to do. They've got to put the blood around the door. And that is how the angel of the Lord is going to know to not go in and kill that. Oh my goodness. Are you getting the foreshadowing of Jesus? Anybody? 
I mean, I know you all are. Let's go through some of the things. Next is one. Right back at the beginning of this story, Pharaoh tries to kill all of the Egyptian, all of the Israelite baby boys. Who does that remind you of? Herod. In Exodus 3, God tells him to ask for a three-day journey to God's sacrifice. Three to appear all the time in the Bible. Three-day sacrifice belongs to Jesus' sacrifice. Three days. Three days. <laughs> <laughs> it's come back to Easter, we'll get there. In Exodus 4, I just think this is a really interesting little one. God shows Moses in that uh, burning bush encounter. He says to Moses, he, he gives Moses his part to seduce snake to heal leprosy and to turn water into blood to flash one. Who does that remind you of? Who's got power over the snake? Who can heal leprosy? And who turns water into other things? Jesus. In Exodus 10, there's darkness for three days. What happens when Jesus gets on the cross? Darkness. All of Exodus 12, by the Passover, the lamb, a male, brought in four days before the sacrifice. Jesus enters Jerusalem four days before the sacrifice. No defect, it'll be perfect. Slaughtered at twilight. When Jesus killed? No broken bones of the lamb. We're not allowed to break the bones of the lamb. What do they do to people on the cross? Broke the legs and they died quicker. Did they do it to Jesus? No, no perfect. The blood was the thing that spared them. What was the thing that spared us? Jesus' blood never fails me. That's my head watch you. And paint it in the leaves like a banner. What is the banner that's over us? Oh, there's so much foreshadowing of Jesus, even in this story. That we, all we learn from that is that God always has a plan. It's not like, oh, let's do this Passover thing, and then later on he's like, I tell you what would be a good idea if I make Jesus similar to this. What a great idea. But he always has a plan, he's always doing something. And the, and the Jewish people, because of that human nature thing, where like, God has always done it this way, some of them didn't recognize Jesus because they were like, no. It's always done this way. When Jesus came, he fulfilled all the prophecies. He was all the things that they've ever been looking for. He just looked different. And they missed it. Loosen your grip on the things that you think Jesus might be doing or what he might look like or how he might show up. Because he sometimes shows up in a way that we're like, what? Why has Jesus shown up in this guy's? One last story. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. One last story, then I'm done. <laughs> I said earlier, I was like, guys, I don't have much to say this morning, I only have one point to make. <laughs> Turns out, loads to say. Um, one, one last thing. One last story. When I worked at 45, I dealt with a lot of sorrow. I told somebody this story before, and I, um, I just was overwhelmed with it. And I went to see this lady who was a, uh, she was like my sort of external supervisor person, and I'd had this horrible experience on a beach where I was having this encounter with the Lord, and I, he'd shown me in my heart there was this room that said sorrow on the door, and I just backed out of the whole thing. I just was like, I don't want to see that God, don't show me that again. I don't know, I don't want to know what's in there, and like, fear rose up me, and I just was like, no, I don't want to know what's in that room of sorrow. I'm sorry, I think that this is really important. Anyway, I spoke to a few of my friends, they were like, it might need to do with that. I was like, yeah, probably, I probably do, yeah. And um, so I went to see this lady who was brilliant, she was a Christian, so I told her about this, and she was like, okay. 
So she led me through this process of like re-approaching the door. I could see it, sorrow, and I saw it, and she's like, what's going on? And blow my nose. She's like, yeah, tell me. I'm trying to verbalize to her what's happening, but I have this really intense experience. I open the door. She's like, you need to open the door, go in. So I open the door, go in, and I just, I like, the sorrow, the things I've written there, the things I've seen, the things that people have experienced around me. It was like overwhelming the darkness and the pain, the sorrow that was in there. It was, I can still see it in my mind. And she was like, where's Jesus? And I was like, oh, he's downstairs. <laughs> like he was in the house with me, but he was downstairs. And I was like, oh, that's like the like the Jesus I needed in that moment. And I felt my own with the sorrow. And then she said, where's the cross? And that moment the cross like flew up out of the floor. There was Jesus hanging on the cross. And he said to me, I died to carry this, not you. I could have just put up with Jesus who was lying outside in the kitchen because I knew he was with me. I knew he was there. But I needed him to show up on the cross in that moment. To show me that he came to carry that burden on the cross. That all that sorrow was his to carry, not mine. And it changed everything in that moment for me. It lifted a burden off me. It lifted a weight of sorrow out of my heart that I had been living with for so long. I needed him to show up in a different way than I expected. Loosen your grip on how you think Jesus is going to show up. How you think God is going to work in your life. How you think he's going to speak to you. How you think he's going to lead this church. How you think he's going to do things in this nation. Not because you might be, you might be right, who knows. But let's allow God to be God and to do things differently. In the beginning of this year, God gave me the verse from Isaiah 44 in the Amplified Version. It's going to be up there in the NIV, but the Amplified on this occasion is free. Do not tremble or be afraid of the violent upheavals to come. Have I not long ago proclaimed it to you and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? There is no other rock but me. My life this year is going to be upheaved. When I move back to Belfast, it's going to be a brand new start for me. I'm so happy here. That feels like a man's got me evil, but God's so beautiful. I've got to loosen my grip and be obedient to what God is saying to me. But He also says to me, Don't be afraid. Yes, the upheaval is going to be violent. It's going to feel violent. But don't be afraid, because I am the rock. Let's pray. Oh Lord, it's hard for us God to loosen our prayer because we like order, we like things to be the same, we like things to be familiar, and yet we know that you are good. The things we can rely on are that you are good, you are great, you are in pursuit of us, you have a plan, you are awesome. So we loosen our grip and we surrender to you.